Therapy Podcast 6. My Relationship Feedback Loop. This is a Tamara Williamson podcast. To learn more about my work and become a Patreon, please go to www.tamarawilliamson.ca. Thank you for listening. We look forward to your response. My dad was a larger-than-life character. He lit up the room. Everyone loved him. He was amazing. He was supportive and cared about his family. But back in the 70s and 80s, men had a macho kind of pressure to be real men. My father had other interests and dreams, and he definitely put his interests in front of his family sometimes, or at least level with his responsibilities. When I was 15, he left with a younger woman, and I remember thinking at the time, yeah, that's my dad. When my excitement for a change in our lives wore off, life felt dark and empty. When he left, the fun left my house and the shadows moved in. I've noticed through my life that I've been drawn to charismatic people, people that light up the room and that I think are fun. But I've also noticed that a lot of these people are narcissistic and don't really care at all about our friendship. I gladly walk along in their shadow, soaking up all the crazy feelings. And then when I or they cross some kind of boundary and we walk away from each other, I feel abandoned and desolate. This goes for boyfriends too, and I'm trying to break the pattern. I've also noticed that I don't seem to be as attracted to someone who's good for me. When someone shows me interest and cares about my needs, I get anxious. It's a physical reaction, like I'm having a panic attack. And then my brain goes into overload trying to work out why. Is this guy right for me? Am I not into them enough? Are they too into me? Am I good enough? Are they good enough? Am I too fucked up? All the good work I've done, getting strong and being happy with myself, seems to go down the toilet, and I'm shoved back into a state of neurosis. It seems that if I'm not the chaser in a relationship, I do not like it. I don't like attention. I'm starting to think that maybe I'd be better off alone. Or maybe I just need to work a little harder. This is Therapy Podcast 6, and this is my conversation with psychotherapist Anne Schnur about my relationship feedback loop. You know, and hopefully just keep on going, I don't know, or, or, or not. But anyway, the, the, um, the thing I wrote to you about this, you know, I'm still trying to get into a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, I've noticed that I'm kind of, I keep bolting out like of them, you know, like I'll, as soon as I feel like I just keep going, no, 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 running away. Like, I'll, and then I go back and then I run away and then I go back. It's sort of like a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, um, it's not healthy for, for me to, I can't seem to settle my, my mind on a, a relationship and, and then work at it. I just go, oh, no, 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 it's not going to work. And I just run away. Um, mm. 
And then I was thinking maybe that, as I said in my little short email to you, maybe that's something to do with having a, a larger than life father. But I don't, I don't know if that's a pattern that, that, so anyway, I just wanted to ask your advice on that. Well, it could, it could be, we, and we tend to, um, so your father was larger than life and what was like, did you have this kind of back and forth relationship with him? My father made everything like magic. And then mm -hmm. when he left and it was, there was no middle ground. It was like magic. And then it was like, he pulled the, the floor away and we all just started falling, falling. And from then on, I don't think my life, like I was always had no floor to my life in a weird way. Right. And so it doesn't sound like you've really worked with your relationship with your father. No. <laughs> yeah. And he, um, yeah, like he was crazy charismatic. Like he bought a tall ship and he became a king of a small island and he, but at the same time, he was kind of a great dad. Like he was, like I said, he wasn't this larger than life character that wasn't warm and, and caring. He was caring, um, you know, but, but at the same time he ran off with a 23 year old when he was almost 60. And mm -hmm. she was a year younger than my eldest brother. So he just took off, you know, with a younger woman. And then he kind of, um, maybe didn't take as much interest in his, uh, in our lives because he was totally in love with this young woman and and uh, you know I'd see him once a week for lunch it wasn't uh you know before he took off I'd see him almost every night so it was a huge change for me mm -hmm. so a lot of a lot of grief there yeah and at the time I remember thinking it was kind of uh feeling all these things, but at the same time, because it was my dad, feeling all excited because he was with a younger woman. And, you know, and that was part of me loved that he was like, like doing that bad thing. Cause my dad always encouraged us to do, to just go for it and, you know, and not look back. And, you know, my mom was a terrible alcoholic. So none of us blamed him for leaving really. Cause he did try, but, but it was still, then me and my my brother at the age of 15 and 16 were just left with this alcoholic woman and we couldn't mm. like look after her you know right yeah that's very difficult my gosh um so really no floorboard at all because you it sounds like your father um gave most of the stability in the home yeah he was more the consistent parent yeah, at that stage. I think my mother yes. started to being noticeably not able to cope when I was about eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 15 or 16, she was she was pretty strong alcoholic, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, do you know what what drove her to drink? She, she, when I would get her, her or see her very upset, she would often go back to feeling that she was just used to have babies and that mm. 
um, you know, he, all he wanted, he used her like a baby making machine. She'd often say that kind of thing. She had eight pregnancies and only four children. Oh. So she went through a lot. Um, I would say that there's a lot of postpartum depression there somewhere. Yeah, which goes back to my relationship with my mother, right? Which was very cold. Um, and I was the youngest. So by the time she had me, she was, she had a lot of uh, scars, right? Like that was a lot of stuff she went through. Mm -hmm. Yes. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife but couldn't keep her. He put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had another and didn't love her. Peter learned to read and spell and then he loved her very well. There's a children's rhyme. The piece that I wanted to speak to was that often men feel like they can't keep their wives and so they keep them pregnant, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And so, so they're kind of chained to a life, right? Yeah. I think my dad was, because he was an only child and um, he wanted, he had this ideal of having this large, large family. Mm. Um, and I mean, he told her when he met her, he wanted this big family. So, but you know, that's no excuse. And then he was having affairs during the relationship and she knew it. And mm -hmm. I mean, he, <laughs> there was a bad side to this man, right? That, that wasn't yes. the side I wanted to look at when I was a kid. Well, but I think there's an insecure part to him. Yeah. I mean, you know, morally, we would say that's not the right thing to do. He did it anyway. But it does speak to his, you know, challenge about staying in relationship and having and being committed to relationship. Yeah. Uh, kind of like, you know, one foot in, one foot out kind of idea, you know? Yeah. And, and being able to have it all, right? Oh, I can... <laughs> I can have a wife, I can have a mistress, I can have several mistresses, I guess, you know? Yeah, um, and live like I'm a king. And mm -hmm. and um, and then when he got older and he got kind of angry for a phase, he, he would often say he looked around and he could see people not living their lives and he lived his life. He'd always make this big comment. Mm -hmm. And I would always think, well, you have no one left beside you whereas you might might look at that family man who's having sunday dinner with his family and that's not nothing you know like it depends on what you think a life is meant for this is true and and often we will put another person down to raise ourselves up yeah right yeah Often, we put other people down to raise ourselves up. I wonder if that means when we put other people up, we're really putting ourselves down. So, so all of that affects your relation, how you view relationships, whether it relationships you attract to you, because um, we often, uh, well, we move always in in familiarity to create familiarity because whether for better or for worse um 
the one thing that we know is um, we survived it. So we know we can live in it. And so often people can be in unhealthy relationships and choose unhealthy relationships because they know how to navigate them. And whereas a healthy relationship is uh, more threatening, it's unknown and the reptilian brain goes, oh, that which is unknown is dangerous. Not necessarily the case, it's just unknown. But not using the prefrontal cortex, the, uh, it, the instinctual self goes, no, I just want to have something that's familiar. <laughs> so familiar to me probably feels like chaos, groundless, people leaving, being left alone, being left alone, being left alone. Yeah, that doesn't sound too yeah, great. That doesn't sound too yeah, great. It's not a lineup for me to choose from, but it's just that when I've, I haven't seemed to manage to um, be in a relationship where I don't keep just running. Like I do, you know, whenever it gets anything but good, I'll just, I, I won't look twice. I'll just go, this isn't working. And I just take off. And then I'll go through the cycle, or if they do something I don't like, I'll I'll just get angry and I'll I'll take off on the anger, and just go, ah, it's just not for me. I don't like it. It's not working. And I'll ride the anger for usually like four or five days, and then the anger starts to dissipate, and then I start to go, well, maybe that that was me, or maybe I'm not thinking about this right, you know. And then I'll get lonely. And then I'll think, well, you know, there are all these good qualities about this person. Maybe I should try again. <laughs> and then I try again and the same thing happens. And of course, I'll do that four or five times. And then this poor person will go, you know, forget it. <laughs> enough already. You know, and I get it because it's, it is enough already. So cut it off. someone who's more like my father mm. so it, I can either turn into the victim or mm. I can turn into my father like it's mm. you know but I don't there doesn't seem to be any middle ground the, the only person you have control over is you are you your mother the, the only person you have control over is you the only person you have control over is feelings when we're in our feelings are it's kind of like a sine wave you know, it's like a gentle rolling wave, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Whereas when we're in a state, kind of what you said with your anger, you know, I I, I skyrocket for yeah. a couple of days and then I might plateau for a bit, right? And then, and then I come down. 
it's not a rule it's not a little bit it's it's it you go up and yeah. across for a while and then you drop down and then you might drop down into a depressive state right that yeah. that does the same thing and so there's not the the buoyancy of that that wave happening and so okay so the first thing you have to do is say okay i'm in reaction i know i'm in reaction i know when i'm in reaction i can feel it in my in my in my jaw i kind of chew on things <laughs> and and we can go into that state um for many reasons and it's not always negative reasons sometimes we can go into it when there's a different type of love that we're we're receiving so some people like really gooey kind of lovey-dovey kind of romance if if you got a person who was a little more aloof or a little not quite as touchy-feely that could trigger the person into a, a reactionary state of i'm not safe likewise if the person's really lovey-dovey the other person might go i feel overwhelmed by that that's not my experience of love doesn't mean that it's unsafe it just means it's different and so then one chooses often to have an argument or something right i've had many a client go oh yeah i i started a fight instead of having greater intimacy with my partner so instead of having intimacy i leave what what <laughs> what is intimacy but in relationships i i am um, I like, as I said, I like being the chaser. If someone comes onto me and stands on my toes and tells me how wonderful I am, and uh, like I, I always, I, I just back right off. Like I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I don't, you. That's like, no, I don't want that. So it does make me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and some people are more comfortable being the pursuer rather than the pursuee, right? Yeah, I think I am. I'm more comfortable. But are we not all more comfortable being the pursuer? Who likes being pursued? What kind of person? Mm, that's a very good question. <laughs> I'd have to think about that a bit. Because um, we're humans. We love chasing things, right? And I mean, so do animals, true. dogs and... You know, everything likes chasing things, but... But, you know, I would... Um... The psychotherapist is stumped. I suppose you, you're, in the end, the best relationship is going to feel kind of balanced. We should get back into that wonderful word, which I more and more look for in my life, is, mm -hmm. is one where you feel like you, you're both you know and there's a healthy balance i suppose well yes yeah well you can express your needs and you can also receive other people's needs yeah um you know you still have me i'm still thinking about that pursuer <laughs> and pursuee but i would say that there are um 
I, I think in all relationships that one person takes more of the lead than the other. And um, ah, so if you call it, if you if you use that language instead of the chasing analogy, mm -hmm. and you say one person's taking the lead more than the other, that yes. would make sense to me as well. That I don't. Although I'm very comfortable leading a project like that I've done before, I'm actually, I think I'm fairly good at that. But when it comes to relationships, I don't want to make the choices. Well, what, what would happen if you did make the choices? Then it might seem boring. <laughs> like maybe that, that came to mind when you said it. Like if it's my choices, like I don't, I suppose if I take someone somewhere and make it, you know, I'm taking them somewhere and it's my date and it's like, then I'm showing them something, then it's okay. But I definitely don't want to do that too much. I want to be entertained by someone else. I want to mm. be led. Maybe that's because I'm lazy and also because, that's because I don't want to have the responsibility for the way someone else is going to feel. The way someone else right. So there's a lot of pressure of, of not, not meeting their need. Yeah. Right? And yeah, then what, tons. And then if you I don't really meet their anxious. need, what does, what does that mean if you don't meet their need? Yeah, I don't know. Do you think that you lose the friendship? I suppose, again, the word that came to my mind, it's just that I'm not interesting or exciting that all of a sudden i'm a bit lame but there's not a you know the, there's not a coming together where two people could or you know i say two people but you know you and family or whatever come to create something together it's like either it's all your responsibility or it's all the other person's responsibility and so there's, um, there's, there's a two ends of a spectrum, and nobody's really in the gray area. And so, w when I work with clients, I work with grounding. So, um, coming back to relationships, right, and going, you know, even a family or whatever, or like, oh, oh, they're coming over. I have to entertain, right? I have to. Um, and how do I feel? Oh, I feel nervous. Oh, okay. So to really, we tend to parent ourselves as we've been parented. And, and this is, I think this is important where you're concerned in that you tend to pull the rug out from underneath your feet. The other person doesn't. Yeah. And, and, and that's what your, your dad did to you. Well, your dad and your mom in a way, because your mom disappeared in alcoholism. Yeah. And your dad, you know, disappeared into fantasy, <laughs> into another relationship, into, I don't know what you want to call it, but. Yeah. Um, and so, um, the, the way you, the only way you can get 
through this and you being more plural than specific to you, the way one gets through that is tending to self. So I feel anxious, I feel overwhelmed, um, whatever the feelings might be. So, so acknowledge. And then ask what I call is the proprioceptive question because it's a self-asking. How can I make myself feel more secure? So what do I need? And then, and that, when we, when we ask that introspective question, we're calling on our intuition. We're calling on our muse, if you will. Thought you might like that because you're an artist. <laughs> um, and and in my experience, intuition has has never led me to the wrong thing. And but but intuition or the aha that comes might be six degrees of something that is not in my wheelhouse of what moves me from reaction into response. So it's all about really tending to the inner child that's going, oh my God, because it's not the adults, it's the little child that's going, oh my God, this connection, I can't do this connection. Yeah. And we have to take that hand and go, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Blame it on birds. Blame it on bats and pigs and hummingbees. Hands and touch and overseas. Blame it on love. Blame it on rights and freedoms. Holding hands, helping, giving, understanding. Blame it on trust. Blame it on truth and lies and giving up. Trying you know what I'm saying? Like, and holding sometimes, up. sometimes leaving is the right thing to do, and circling back is the wrong thing. That's true. And you know, there's no fast and fixed rule to that. Because each each relationship, each interaction is unique onto its own. Yeah. Um, but but you have a guiding star within you, as we all do. That sense of you know whether it's right or wrong, and so why okay, that that why do you acquiesce? So trust your guiding star because this yes. is another thing that I've been warring with. It's like um, sometimes my guiding star you know is saying no no it's not a bad thing but it's just not the right thing for you don't do it mm -hmm. but all these other things start to weigh in and i find myself in a situation where i'm every moment warring with it because on paper it looks so good but it's not my guiding you you can't force that guiding star like it just either is or it isn't right right trust yourself and follow your guiding star. Come on, you can do it. The passion in us is saying, no, I, you know, I, I, I want to become a, 
a, a, a vet or I want to become a stable, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, when we, when we go against our soul energy, then you get back into beating yourself up. I th I think. If yeah, you're, why did I do? I knew it, right? Yeah, you start. You're just back into the where you're walking in the woods with your brain doing. You know. I found myself recently where I'm back spinning because because I was trying to do do what everyone thought was the right thing for me, but I knew wasn't my passion, basically. Right. Yeah. And and so often it, it, it just ends in futility. And it's there's another person involved sometimes and that's that's just not fair as well. So mm -hmm. um, this to clients um, even for the person who looks like they have everything there is something missing and all I can put it to is the human condition is that there's always something that we have to work on within ourselves that we have to heal ourselves and it doesn't matter how much money we have or if we have everything actually sometimes when we have, you know, when we're extraordinarily affluent, we have greater trials and tribulations in our life. to be healed through relationship. So, so the reason why you end up in familiar, we end up in familiar um, situations, and sometimes we can go, oh, and here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> is, is because it's the universe working to help us, you know, birth ourselves into something new, to go through it yet again and and work at resolve and groundedness, work through reaction into, res into response that allows for the resolve and the results we want. You know, it's, uh, you completely answered my, my uh, w what was tormenting me when I, when I wrote to you last week. I feel really happy and excited about the fact that I think I made the right choice and, and but talking mm. to you, I feel like I'm like, okay, good. Because I, I've, like anyone else, there's a truth. There's always a truth and you know it. Mm. And so you have to follow your truth, yes. you know, um, and, and that at the, the end of everything, there's only truth, I think. I think, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not quite there yet. God. 
took me by the hand and walked me down my road told me all about the houses and it's in my nature yeah it's in the way i walk i tried to keep up then i tripped and lambs are pretty and submarines they sometimes sink and giants live in giant houses and puppies like to play and some geese fly away and i should make some better choices days turn into months and you can't make a choice so i made lemonade and drank it and there are spiders whether web should be and i don't think that i can solve this and lambs are pretty and submarines they sometimes sink giants live in giant houses and puppies like to play and some geese fly away and i should make some better choices and are you a vulture or a crow are you a white fox free 